1: grace and mercy literally covered their sin. Shedding of an animal in order to cover their nakedness. Their nakedness was not the sin. Their sin was the disobedience they had to what God had told them to do. And God's grace came and covered them. Just as God's grace will cover even those in the tribulation who have given their hearts and life to Christ, who have been obedient to that call, hey, Fear God, worship Him, turn your life to Him, even in the midst of that. may cost you your life, but you know what? Our life is nothing compared to eternity.
0: You might be out there listening today and have been fighting with a certain sin. Maybe you backslid and can't seem to get going in the right direction again. Pastor David is reminding us that God's grace is enough. It will be enough for those who won't accept Him until the tribulation, and it's enough for us right now. Call out to Him give it all over to Him. It's never too late. We need to remember that we are a new creation every morning. No matter how far away we've strayed from Him, God is faithful. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 14 with today's edition of The Open Word.
1: I don't care if you close your eyes in singing or if you don't close your eyes in singing, but I do care about whether or not you really worship or if you just come and you sing songs that are up on a screen or you just stand and listen while everybody else sings. We're to be worshipers, and even the worst singer among us can worship him, even without singing. If you don't want to sing, that's okay. But, man, make melody in your heart, anyone. I haven't kicked anybody ever out of the church because they sang bad. Okay, never. Well, maybe that one. No, never, never have, never have. Again, we worship him now, the one who's creator of heaven and earth, the sea, the springs of water. There's soon going to come a time, really, when every knee is going to bow. The word says every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone eventually will, but some it's going to be because they realize it, but they realized it so, so too late. That's why the angel calls out with a loud voice, declaring, hey, the hour of judgment has come. This is now his time from the very beginning, it's time now for the judgment. Man can make all of his plans, but it's God that directs the steps. It's not man's time. It's not our organization. Think, hey, at such such time. No, God has a plan, and it's been his time. It's been his organization since the very beginning. It's God's purpose. It's God's timetable, and he's not going to be rushed. He's not going to be delayed either. When the time comes, the time comes. Can somebody tell me when that time's going to happen? No, we don't know, do we? I believe it's getting very close. The more and more we look at the world today, you think, wow, it's just getting kind of crazy all over. It's not just crazy in Cleveland. It's not just crazy in the Middle East. It's just crazy all over anymore. And you look at the world and you think, oh, Lord, you know, how soon, how soon is it going to be? Verse eight, he says, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she had made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This one has a different message. This is a message about the fall of Babylon, that great city. But more than just a city, we're going to see as we get into Revelation a little bit more that Babylon is literally the world's system. I believe that Babylon, when we look in Revelation, it is that that is the creative work of the Antichrist and of the beast. I believe that Babylon is that economic system and structure that the world's moving into. I believe it's the totality of the political and and the governmental organization of the world and all of this that's being formed together. And we keep pushing toward a one world government, this kind of thing. And I think it's all a setup. Just like last week, we are talking about, you know, the chips that you can put in the skin, the the scan cards, all this kind of stuff. They're not the mark of the beast. I think they're just prepping things, getting us ready, getting people to say, oh, it's, it's, it's just a normal thing to take the mark, to take on the forehead or the hand. We're just getting ready for it the structure of the world's governments right now all of it just getting ready and by this time by the time we move to this portion of that tribulation period all of the nations have become a part of it many of them have prospered in the midst of it and yet all of them in one way or another have become dependent upon the system and Being dependent upon the system, you become dependent upon the Antichrist and upon the beast to survive within it. And now, because they all bought into it, the word says also that they shall all drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. He says in the last part of verse 8, She has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It's the wrath that God's going to be pouring out on the nation because the nations have bought into that. The system has bought into it. And whether they bought into it willingly or whether they were forced into it and yet just decided to go with the flow, they've rejected the plan of God and they've bought into the world system. The angel comes announcing in advance This collapse of the whole world structure, economic, political, the national financial systems, and all of this coming down. He announces it here, but it's not going to take place really until we get into chapter 18. In chapter 18, we're going to see absolute chaos. We're going to see anarchy. We're going to see misery. We're going to see sorrow. We're going to see all of this taking place. Why? Because the world itself is collapsing. Moving on here in verse 9. He says, then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in, a little bit? No, in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So this third angel follows with a loud voice. He brings this absolutely clear condemnation, that it goes beyond now the governments. I think that's what Babylon is all about. Now we're talking about individuals. Now we're talking to those who thought it better to worship the beast rather than to repent and turn to Christ. They thought it would be a little bit easier on them. Wow, if I turn to Christ, they're going to kill me. So instead of that, I'm going to play their game and go with them. And at the end of that, they face the wrath of God because they've rejected the plea of God on their life. The second angel spoke, I believe, when he speaks of Babylon, he speaks of nations and governments and organizational structure, all of that being annihilated. They're going to cease to exist. But now as his third angel cries out, he's crying about individuals. And their fate is going to be much worse. Because as nations and governments just simply cease to exist, individuals, people themselves, they continue to exist. But they exist in eternal punishment. What does he say there? They shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. Some people say, hey, you know, a loving God would never be that merciless. God would never send anyone to hell. They've never read the Bible or they have read it with blinders on and says, I see what it says, but I don't believe it means what it says. And if that's the case for any of you, I have great sorrow for you because what do you believe and how can you believe it? Do you pick and choose what you are comfortable with or do you sometimes read things within the word and say, I'm not really comfortable with that, but I believe it because it's God's word and I'm just gonna go that way. I would much rather have somebody be honest about that and say, man, I really struggle with that inside. I don't understand why God would do it, but that's what the word says. Then somebody says, no, I don't believe that's what that means. I don't agree with that. Well, if you don't agree with that, then why would you agree with this over here? Why would you agree with this over here? Why would you agree with any of it? If the word of God is true, it's true from Genesis to Revelation. And we have to accept it that way. Are there some things that are symbolic? Absolutely. There definitely are. But when it's written out so plainly and clearly... People say, "Ah, you know, that preacher over there, he preaches, you know, Hellfire and Brimstone. Well, it is biblical, you know. Hellfire and Brimstone is biblical. I wouldn't want to preach it every Sunday, but when it comes to it, it's time to lay it out and say, this is the truth. And actually, this is a part of that everlasting gospel. Do you realize that there can really be no mercy of God if there is no judgment of God? How can we have mercy if there's no judgment? Because there is judgment, God also extends mercy in the midst of that judgment. His grace is given, even though we deserve death, we deserve to be among those who are tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends. How long? Forever? and ever. And how much rest do they have? Oh, they have no rest day or night. We deserve to be there. But it's the grace and mercy of God that's drawn us from that. God is wooed us to himself. And if we've listened, if we've paid attention to that, now we are among the redeemed. We're not among those who have fallen into this. And in that end time, in those last days, those that worship the beast in his image, who've received the mark of his name, that is the end place for them. And we're going to find out a little bit later, whoever's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. So it's not just the end times, But it's through all time, those who have not come to Christ, whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that is the final destination. God's love and his compassion is so vast and so wide that whoever would come to him, he would never cast them out. They don't understand, again, that great promise, that great hope of heaven that's offered, the confidence of forgiveness that that we can have, the grace of his mercy that's been made available. When they say, oh, God could never do that. Yes, he could, because he has reached out and reached out and reached out to man. And man continues to to reject him. The word says that God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The word tells us that God is long-suffering toward us. Why? Because he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to eternal life, come to repentance. So even in this passage, we look up at verse 6. What's the message of that first angel? He says, fear God. Give glory to God. Because if you don't, the rest of the passage takes place. Those who continually rejected the call of God says they're going to be tormented with fire, yes, and brimstone. You think that's real, Pastor? I have no reason to doubt. I have no reason to doubt that it's going to be anything different. How long? Eh, For a season. Of course, the season's called forever and ever. That's a pretty long season. It's worse than summers in Casa Grande, last. They seem to last forever and ever sometimes, but forever and ever, eternity, and they have no rest day or night. Verse 12, he says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, "Write. blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. For those that did come to Christ who, again, have not been martyred yet. They've endured, they've lived their lives for the glory of God. During that time of tribulation, in the earlier days, as I said, there's gonna be some that have given their hearts and lives and they're gonna be under great persecution, great trials. They're gonna be persecuted, they're gonna to be tormented, they're gonna to be tortured, they're gonna to be martyred. Why? Because they remained steadfast in their faith in Jesus and they are gonna be Rewarded, They shall enter into the Father's rest, the testimony of their lives, having been a demonstration of their faithfulness. Look at verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. Pay attention to some of the details here. For I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. So we come to this picture. It's a picture of a harvest and in the greater scheme of, of all the book of Revelation, I believe that some of this has taken place while some of what we're about to read is, is actually going to be fulfilled later in Revelation. And Just as we read a moment ago, Babylon has fallen, and yet we realize, no, it's not really fallen, not until we get to chapter 16. Some of the reaping things would have taken place, I believe, earlier in Revelation, while some of it's going to be later. I told you to pay attention to the details. What does it say here about this one coming? Number one, on a white cloud. He's on the cloud. He's sitting on the clouds. He's not on the earth. He's in the clouds, okay? And it says that he's one like the Son of Man. I think it would be fair enough to assume that this is Christ coming in the clouds. What does the word say about what our position as the redeemed will be? Where will we meet the Lord? will meet the Lord in the clouds. I believe that here the time has come, as the angel said, it's time for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. I think here we have Jesus reaping the harvest. I believe here he is, it's a picture of him calling the saints to himself. And some might say, well, then that means that it's a mid-tribulation rapture of the church because we're right in the middle of the tribulation and here he is reaping it. I don't believe so. I believe that again this is an overall picture. I have no problem when we look at this to say that could have just as easily been just what we looked at when we look back at the very earlier passages and when we saw in chapter 4 when John said and after these things behold a door standing up in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me. Come up here and I will show you these things and then the Immediately, I was in the Spirit. I believe in chapter 4 is when the rapture of the church symbolically happens. I believe that what we see here in chapter 14 in verses 14 through 16 is just a picture of this in the overall scheme of things. The earth was reaped, but I believe it was reaped of the good stuff. This was the harvest that's been taken. Now we look at verse 17 through 20. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. And what did he do with it? He threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God, and the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. So what's going on here? Who is reaping? This time it's an angel. It's not the Lord. It's an angel reaping. This time he comes for the grapes that are fully ripe, and actually the translation would be is they're overly ripe. And overly ripe grapes, you know, unless you're making raisins, they're not really good for a whole lot. These vines, then, they're not cared for. No, they're thrown into the winepress of the wrath of God. And they're trampled, it says, outside the city. Enormous amounts of blood. Blood. Heard somebody people say, well, you know, it says up to the horse's bridle, right? oh, that's like four feet. That's like a huge river of blood. Maybe it just means splattering. I'm okay with that if it's splattering up four feet, but it's still, you know, 1,600 furlongs, 184 miles. This is, this is like huge. This is a major, major destruction that's going on. Some people speak about this being, again, just a picture of the Battle of Armageddon that we'll look at a little bit later in the book of Revelation, very possible. When you look at the valley of Armageddon, it's not quite 180 miles, but the whole area down there, a huge, huge battle as God brings nations together, the nations that have collapsed, the nations that God is doing this awesome work, and his wrath is being poured out. The reaping is a reference to the wrath of God here in these verses, whereas the former one, the one that happened earlier where the Son of Man came down. This is where he came down for a harvest. Totally different. I see one, Christ taking the church up. The second one, the wrath of God being poured out. These two pictures here, this isn't complete and total. Here, this is just overviews of what's going to happen. One, I believe, that's happened earlier. Another one that's going to happen later as we look into this. The thing that I see through all of this, the thing that I want to bring home to you, particularly in this chapter, God's plan and God's purpose, that gospel message has been an everlasting message. It hasn't changed. God's grace and mercy extended out to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, when you got one rule and you blow that one, You know, you think, really, you can't keep that? And yet God's grace and mercy literally covered their sin. Shedding of an animal in order to cover their nakedness. Their nakedness was not the sin. Their sin was the disobedience they had to what God had told them to do. And God's grace came and covered them. Just as God's grace will cover even those in the tribulation who have given their hearts and life to Christ, who have been obedient to that call, hey, fear God, worship him, turn your life to him, even in the midst of that. It may cost you your life, but you know what? Our life is nothing compared to eternity. What's going on in your life? How hard is it for you to stand for Christ in a culture that we live in today? For some, it becomes really hard because already we've allowed the lines to be shifted and moved back and forth, and we ourselves don't even know where we ought to stand. Why? For a couple of reasons. Number one, because we're not students of the Word. Number two, because we're not faithful in relationship, in communication, in obedience to what we know to be right. You know, if we do what we know to be right, God will continue to reveal the other things to us. Be faithful unto the end, whatever that end may be
0: each one of your lives and in mine. The letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough. But doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa
1: Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word.